0: to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast. I'm Eva Monheim.
1: And I'm Hal Rosner. We are both certified arborists through the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forests, which include neighborhoods, parks, and other open spaces.
0: We will also cover a myriad of tree topics, including the important role trees play in relationship to the climate crisis. Thank you for joining us. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Monheim Microphones. Monheim Microphones designs and handcrafts top tier studio microphones and preamps right here in the United States in Hollywood, California. Their incredible line of innovative microphones and designs are used around the world by everyone from podcasters to top charting record producers and singers. They recently released their new royalty microphone, Monheim Microphones Unparalleled Excellence. MonheimMicrophones.com.
1: Verdant Earth Educators provides dynamic in-person training and online learning opportunities for environmental and horticultural businesses. Owned by ISA certified arborists and former university faculty, the Verdant Earth Educator team provides consultations on tree care and recommends climate resilient opportunities for your valued green spaces. Verdant Earth Educators is all about seeding knowledge for success. Find Verdant Earth Educators at Burdeneartheducators.com.
0: This podcast is being recorded on November 17th, 2023. Seth Lieberman co-founded Quiet Clean Philly, an all-volunteer organization dedicated to phasing out gas leaf blowers in the city of Philadelphia. Seth's activism and articles on the harms of gas leaf blowers have been featured in the Philadelphia Inquirer, WHYY's Studio 2, and Radio Times, Channel 6 ABC Action News, the Chestnut Hill Local, the Weaver's Way Shuttle, Planet Philadelphia, and the Jewish Exponent. Seth is also active as part of a national network of municipalities seeking healthier and more sustainable communities through changing how we think about lawn care. When not volunteering, Seth runs Leadership Breakthroughs, a leadership and strategy development business focused on academic medical centers. Dr. Bonnie Sager is a consulting clinical physician to the New York State Hospital System. She has lectured internationally on eye care and has served as vice president and advisor to several vision care companies. As a clinician, she is concerned with the many detrimental health impacts that gas powered lawn equipment have on landscape workers and the general public. She is actively working with communities, medical professionals, environmental groups, and legislators to change policy and promote more sustainable landscaping practices. Dr. Sager and Dr. Lucy Weinstein, are co-founders of Huntington Calm, Clean Alternative Landscaping Methods, a Long Island-based citizens advocacy organization. She is also a co-founder of QCA, Quiet Clean Alliance, a national organization dedicated to educating and changing public policy on gas lawn equipment. Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast, Seth and Bonnie. We're thrilled that we could have you on today.
2: Thank you for having us. It's our pleasure.
1: This should be fun. Thanks. So it's fall on the East Coast as we speak. The leaves are falling and we are thrilled to have you guys on to talk about a topical issue that I hope is getting traction not only across the nation, but in other parts of the world where leaf blowers, gas powered leaf blowers are relied upon heavily for the task of picking up and moving leaves around the property. So we're going to cover a couple key issues today, but I thought we'd take a few moments to hear from both of you uh, in terms of your career trajectory. Uh, And that would include, you know, schooling and your early encounters with nature. And then maybe to add to that, just to ask, when did uh, gas-powered landscaping equipment begin to have an impact on you? And when did you start to realize its detrimental effects? So there's a series of questions. Take your time with it and uh, let's get to know you guys.
3: So I was sort of a bookish kid growing up in the New York City suburbs. And somehow or other, I found my way to a summer camp in the Adirondacks where we had no indoor plumbing. We would backpack for four days through the wilderness. We would canoe for four days, carrying canoes on our backs from one, on our shoulders from one leg to another. And in the midst of all this, this bookish kid, I became enamored with who I was in nature, just among the trees with blisters and wet feet, tired. But there was some sense of calmness I felt, which I loved. And I continued just as a bookish. Kid, most of the time, but and I've not yet spoken about this publicly anywhere. But when I was time to apply for colleges, there was one essay I was permitted at the time, and I wrote it about raking leaves and about the absurdities of leaves in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I love it. I remember <laughs> complaining to my dad about. You know, there were people with smaller houses, smaller lawns, who were less privileged, and I had to spend all weekend raking the leaves. There were people who were wealthier, who had lawn companies that took their leaves. But mostly, I looked around and I was like, why do we consider this beautiful? I loved being in the Adirondacks, off trail, and the leaves were everywhere. And it seemed absurd, the amount of effort that was being taken to turn our lawn a certain way. Anyway, some college eventually let me in. And post-college, I went to Latin America and I spent about a year in Central America uh, working in inner city, Guatemala City, in a dump where families were earning their money finding scraps, burning wires. And I developed asthma working in that dump, breathing the air, as many of the people I worked with did. And that was sort of my first understanding of what the earth could do to, to health after I returned, I spent five years working with Latin American refugees and immigrants in inner city San Francisco. And that was all before I, I went to graduate school and did my, my the rest of my career. Great.
0: And what is the rest of your career?
3: So I run a leadership development business focused on academic medical centers. So I work with teaching hospitals, which are responsible for training the next generation of medical doctors and for essentially being the safety net for people who can't afford healthcare. And I work with them on creating teams on leadership and change.
0: Wow, that's exciting. That's very Good. exciting.
3: Very cool. So Thank you.
0: leaves have been in your life since you were a small sprout.
3: They were. And just to answer the last part of your question, Hal, Yeah, I had read um, articles about the the harms of, of gas leaf blowers, cancer, asthma, hearing, et cetera. But I sort of, just like many people, I just sort of accepted it. This is the way life went. And I even paid for somebody to do it on my own lawn until about three years ago, I was walking down the street and a laborer, I remember him at the corner of Sedgwick. (laughs) And they're almost always polite, pointing the leaf blower away from me and turning the throttle down. And he looked at me and I looked at him and we made eye contact. And all of a sudden, I, I felt sort of a wave of shame, honestly, that I didn't see the human beings who were incurring these health harms. I just sort of saw them as a nuisance. You know, even with all my experience in Latin America, I just kind of saw him as other. And in this moment, I saw him as a human being Mm -hmm. who had this horrible device on his back, which as unpleasant as it was for me, I was sure it was damaging his health. And what kind of health coverage did he have? And I... It changed my life. I can, I can, Now I cannot walk by someone and unsee them anymore.
0: That's really fascinating. Wow. And it's sometimes, it's almost like a wake-up call. I don't know whether it's the timing. Uh, probably it is the timing that, that all has to be synchronized so, so concisely that y- you do notice. And that's when your whole life changes. So let's hear from you, Bonnie. And let's hear your background and how you wound up talking about leaf blowers.
2: Well, my story isn't as exciting as Seth's is. I grew up in suburbia and on a Friday night or Saturday, dad would get out with the lawnmower and mow the lawn. And, you know, in the fall we would rake the leaves. And at that time you were allowed to burn them. Since then it's become illegal to burn leaves. And we would jump in the piles of leaves and play around and have a great old time and love the smell of the burning leaves. And then, when I came back from college and I bought my own home, I began to notice that the neighborhoods had changed. People weren't doing their own lawns anymore. Dad wasn't getting out there with the lawnmower and the rake. There were professional companies doing it. turned that our neighborhoods were becoming industrial zones. You had big trucks coming into them with all sorts of gas equipment, these huge mowers and blowers and edgers and chainsaws and all sorts of things. And what used to be peaceful enjoyable neighborhoods became very loud and very noisy. And I've always enjoyed gardening and walking outside, but you could never seem to do that without hearing that grating, horrible sound of leaf blowers. And where it used to be one, a crew would use one of them, then it became two or three or more on a property. And as soon as one landscaper would leave, you'd have another one come into the neighborhood. So it became an all day event. It wasn't just once in a while. So my background is in science. I have a, a bachelor's in zoology, I have a master's in biology, and then I have my OD degree. So I've always been interested in science and I've always been interested in the outdoors and nature and how everything interplays with each other. And I began, like, like Seth said, to see these people using these blowers and all this equipment. And then you could smell it and I wondered why, you know, what, what's going on with this? And one of my sp- subspecialties in vision care was industrial vision, safety vision. And I was watching these guys and I said, you know, they don't have any eye protection on. And then I saw some patients that actually had problems. They had either allergic reactions, to the stuff they were blowing. They had um, corneal abrasions from debris that got into their eye. And some had very, very serious eye injuries. They actually had penetrating injuries from perhaps a piece of rock or twig or something that went into the eye. And I thought, why? Why are we doing this for grass clippings and leaves? And why aren't these guys protected? So I began to do some more research and then began to understand not only was it the eyes that could become a problem, but the lungs and the cancer was involved and asthma and all sorts of health repercussions by using these these pieces of equipment. And then I found Dr. Lucy Weinstein, who was my co-founder in Huntington Calm, Clean Alternative Landscaping Methods. And Lucy's a pediatrician. And she was very concerned because she understood what it did to kids and their health kids are lower to the ground. They have higher respiratory rates. During summer months, they're outside playing. And During summer months, you have these landscaping crews mowing and blowing every week. And there's ground level ozone that's formed by the nitrous oxide and the emissions that come out of these things that combine with sunlight. So she was very, very concerned about the impact that, that it was having on children. So we both started to do more research and got involved with the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Lung Association. And they all confirmed what we believe, that these blowers, are very, very toxic to the workers in particular, but to the neighborhoods in which they operate. So that's how I got involved in this. And we've been trying to change the culture where today you can go to a battery blower, the technology is there, and we're hoping that people will recognize that and switch to battery. It's not perfect, but it's a far better result in, uh, for health than using gas.
0: You know, I was talking to Hal before we did this uh, podcast, and one of the things that I learned when I was studying in horticulture is that leaves are there to capture uh, particles in the air, to make it cleaner for us as human beings to breathe and to allow us to have clear vision in the in the natural world. This morning, I woke up and I couldn't see it barely out my window because they were blowing here yesterday. The neighbors were blowing early this morning. They're one on one side, one on the other, one across the street. It was like a nightmare. And what I think we've lost contact with is the fact that we wouldn't blow dusted around in our house. We wouldn't use a blower in our house to dust our furniture. We would use a vacuum to pick up the dust so why aren't we using vacuums to pull in the leaves and we were, i talked about this at university of pennsylvania yesterday where we were doing a training session why aren't we using vacuums that automatically grind up the leaves and spit them out as a organic use mulch it's easy we have we have the technology We're just not doing it. And I totally get where you're coming from because I can't stand the noise either. And if you have any sensitivity to noise, it can really make you go crazy, (laughs) to be quite honest. But we do have an organization called Environmental Landscape Alliance, which we had met about a month ago.
1: It's actually uh, ecological.
0: Ecological, I'm sorry. Ecological Landscape Alliance. And at that meeting, they were showing the people How to use battery operated equipment. The guys that we went to, in in industrial,
1: indigenous, indigenous,
0: yes, indigenous, indigenous something. Anyway, everything that they have there is battery operated. And he's been doing, people say, oh, it's too costly. You know what? Upfront cost, if it costs more upfront, that means you're going to save in the long run because somebody's thought it through. And yet we always go the cheapest, cheapest is the more expensive in the end. So these battery operated equi- the equipment, everybody, you know, that was there that hasn't used battery equipment was like, no, you can't, it's not as good. And it's not and, and I heard one of your talks, Bonnie, on one of the television shows. And you were saying that the equipment is, is made well. It does the same thing as a gas powered. You just have to have some kind of plug-in. Well, there was a guy that was there and said, you know what, I figured I save four thousand dollars a year on each piece of equipment because I don't have to pay for gas and I don't have to worry about people breathing in bad stuff. And I also have a solar powered trailer. So all my batteries are constantly being charged from my solar panel. So there are so many things out there that are working and you're right. Why are we doing what we're doing?
1: I'm feeling pretty optimistic. I was at Home Depot a couple of days ago in Delaware and uh, there's an entire aisle uh, with, three different manufacturers represented of strictly battery powered equipment and they don't mix in the gas powered equipment it's all clean technology in there three reputable companies and i also feel like the hard work of educating the public and creating effective practical ordinances i, I think we're responding well i think the manufacturers are responding well and pivoting and fingers crossed but Seth, you live in Mount Airy, Philadelphia's um, neighborhood in, in the Northwest section of the city. Tell us about Quiet Clean Philly, a great name for the organization, <laughs> by the way. Tell us about your community and what factors came together uh, in order to mobilize and begin to publicize the range of concerns and the detrimental impacts of gas powered blowers.
3: Sure, and uh, just to not take credit for the great name, you know there are over 150 municipalities that have some form of a ban or restriction, and so the quiet, clean is sort of something we're all hanging our hat on. Branding, gotcha. But it's good. I just don't want to take credit for it. Okay. Um, we just for your viewers, you know, Mount Airy is sort of it's sort of the Berkeley of Philadelphia. It's diverse. Within two blocks of my house. I have tallish apartment buildings, including public housing buildings. I have old stone mansions that are 7,000 square feet. I have leafy trees everywhere, great community, progressive. People want to make things better. I also live in what's called the poorest big city in the United States, sixth biggest city in the country. We have an asthma emergency. Over one in five kids in Philadelphia have asthma. And we also have a host of other health problems, and a lot of them are really deep-seated and difficult to untie. So... Three years ago, I began publicizing a group of students, Penn and Temple and some others, a group of college students, put together this, this Habitat for Humanity rake-a-thon, where they will come, they'll rake your house, and you donate $15, $20 an hour per kid. And it it goes all the money goes to Habitat for Humanity. And when I heard about it, I started publicizing it through and Mount Airy, we have a lot of listservs and I all these listservs, I put out the framing of what are we doing with these gas leaf blowers? I offered anybody strangers to borrow my electric leaf blower. And then I said, here's this great Habitat for Humanity fundraiser. And so that's sort of how things got going. But a little over a year ago, there was an ecological event at my synagogue within Mount Airy, where um, uh, I met some other activists, talked about the issue. And on the spot, we decided to create Quiet, Clean Philly. Within two weeks, we had written an op-ed article, which was then promptly published by the Philadelphia Inquirer. And we started an online petition. Now we have over a thousand signatures with people calling for a phase-out of all sale and all use of gas leaf blowers within the city limits. So that's where we are today.
0: Wow, that's fabulous. Fantastic. That's fabulous. Yeah.
3: So, Bonnie,
1: I have a question for you. We touched upon this a couple days ago because um, I'm a retired arborist. And um, for a couple decades, uh, most of the time, I will say my, the guys out there climbing the trees, taking the trees down, pruning the trees, were Spanish-speaking, or that was their primary language. And they were from Mexico, Guatemala, Dominican Republic. Other countries. Uh, I hope uh, I'm taking away so much from this, and it's powerful stuff. You guys have both given some powerful testimonies. How do we get the word out to the Spanish speaking community? I want to pick your brain on that. But also, you had said, you had responded the other day that it's very much a social justice issue, isn't it? That we have. laborers coming in, legal and otherwise, that are exposing themselves to all these negative effects that are impacting their health. Can you expand on that social justice piece?
2: Yeah, well, you do have a lot of, uh, most of the, the labor on these crews are immigrants that speaks Spanish, and they have no idea what they're being exposed to. And as Seth said earlier, they probably don't have any health insurance, or if they do, it certainly isn't generous. And they're the the ones that are going to be suffering the most in several years from now. With the emissions from gas leaf blowers, you have uh, 1,3-butadiene, toluene, benzene. These are all cancer-causing agents. They're also exposed to particulate matter, which is dust and pollen, as well as fine particulate matter. And fine particulate matter is so small, you breathe it in, it goes into your lungs, passes through your lungs, and goes into your bloodstream. And that can cause heart disease. It can cause all sorts of of, of problems within the body. Also, they're exposed to hearing loss and tinnitus. Many of them don't wear any type of protection, ear protection, eye protection, and um, they need a job. You know, they're, they're trying to earn a living, but it's kind of unfair that because we want to see a green carpet, this pristine, leaf-free, grass-clipping-free carpet, that a human being is sacrificing their future health so we can have this artificial aesthetic. And you mentioned it just, I just before I forget, Home Depot, uh, you mentioned them before that you were in the other day. Home Depot has come out with a statement that I think it's within four or five years. I don't remember exactly. They will twenty twenty eight. Thank you. They will not be selling any gas lawn equipment. Wow.
0: You know, I have to point out that I used to sit on a board for a vocational school back in the nineties. They were supposed to outlaw all two cycle engines back in the nineties. Now we are in two thousand twenty three. And we still have them. Even including outdoor motorboats, they're, they're a, actually a four-cycle. They were two-cycle, but they're four-cycle. But the fact of the matter is that we have been talking about this for a very long time. And I think it comes to the point where you get to a critical mass of use of something. And, and now it's leaf blowers that will actually tip the scale to where we need to really make our changes.
3: Um Eva, I just want to comment on, and the two cycle the two-stroke engine is an engine where you pour gas and oil in it, and over 30 percent of it is emitted in the immediate environment as unburned particulates. That's what that's that sweet smell you smell. And it's illegal for everything but basically a few applications. It's not an accident. It's not just that people don't care or haven't seen the light. There is an active opposition by the landscaping lobbying organizations to fight this. I've been on two radio stations recently where one, it was was someone out of Virginia, the national office. The other one was out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where there were lobbyists who were basically saying, just let the market take care of it. You know, people will move to the right thing by the free market and capitalism. The technology is not ready yet. So it's not an accident. They're pushing that message aggressively. We know that our colleagues in other places like Oregon have gotten some pretty nasty legal letters in response to trying to regulate these emissions. Even though we're all used to every year we go, we have our automobile tested for emissions, but somehow we don't, we're don't. we not willing to do that for our lawn equipment. It's crazy, but it's not an accident. It's not because people don't care. There's an active campaign pain with money behind it doing that. And there are people like Bonnie and me who are just volunteers who are organizing and trying to be on the other side.
0: I think you're right about that. I know that I won't use a blower. I never have. I use a mulching mower. If I use a mulching mower, the mulching mower does, takes care of the leaves and it goes right back into the ground. Mulching mowers are out there. All you need to have is a second blade or a third blade on your mower. And you do not need to have a blower. You don't and i don't understand why people aren't using that technology it's available out there it's been there for a long time i mean i had my mulching mower for gosh i guess about 30 30 over 30 years and i don't understand why people aren't aren't using that as from a lawn care standpoint again it it goes back to the will of the people or that are working
3: it's the will mm-hmm. it's inertia what we're seeing in our neighborhoods here in Philadelphia is that the homeowners are moving aggressively away from gas leaf blowers, the do it yourselfers. And we see it all around our neighborhood, and we're helping publicize that. I think there's an issue, and this is a societal issue, where if we pay a company to take care of our lawn, somehow we can wash our hands of the ethical implications. Close, just as I used to close my eyes when I tur- walked by these um, these laborers, I think that we 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 hide behind this supply chain, and I think it's a it's an ethical issue for our society. So I I think there's hope. I think there are also some economic reasons why, especially the small immigrant lawn contractors, are continuing to do what they do. Um, I, you mentioned uh, Eva, the University of Pennsylvania. They've got made a policy: we will not use gas leaf blowers on our property. But who's, at, who's doing, you know, who's doing the leaf blowing is Brightview, which is a private equity-owned national chain of lawn care. Which they use all electric. It's great. But I'm really concerned about bringing the mom and pop, the immigrant, the small scale businesses with us. I don't want to put them, if we put them out of business, because the large scale people, they understand it's cheaper, it's better for their labor. They have the capital, they'll do it. But I think we have to figure out how to bring the smaller companies with us. And that's a lot of what we're thinking about in Philadelphia.
0: Well, I also think that there should be some grants too for the, the new businesses where, you know, the new businesses could do the right thing by ha- getting a grant. And, and then that grant, their action can actually pass on that grant to somebody, some other immigrant organization or a or company that's starting. And we're, we have some, so much ingenuity in this country, and yet so much of it's not used. It's almost like a waste.
1: I am more <laughs> optimistic than you, Eva doesn't usually go that way.
0: <laughs> I didn't say I'm not optimistic. What I'm saying is what I see is this stubbornness because I sit with a lot of men in organizations. The one organization I belonged to at the vocational school was all men. I was the only woman. And I will honestly tell you, I would say, let's try this. And they would go, oh, we can't try that. And then when they tried it, they were like, oh, that was really great. I just took a new tool like down to, to our training. And they said, oh, we're not going to use that. We'd rather use a hand drill but what about the torquing and the hand drive? Right. So now yes. they tried the new piece of equipment and they were like, oh, we really yep. like it.
3: <laughs> I, w- one, one of the problems, is a lot, we hear this a lot from contractors is that they have tried the electric blowers but they tried the versions that are 5 years or more old yeah. and they yes. really didn't work as well. You know, now we know from the consumer reports study that compared that said basically they're more or less the same. They actually said that battery now has an edge. You can look on our website, Quiet Clean Philly, and you can see the ABC News story that looks at the consumer reports study as well as our work here in Philly. So that's there's resistance to change. There's having tried it earlier. There's also There's also the issue of a low margin business. And I'm a small business person. If you're a small business focused on lawn care, your margins are extremely small and you don't necessarily have capital to invest in something, even if it will save you. The Santa Cruz study says that within 10 months, you get your money back. Maybe it's three years or two years you get your money back. But if you're running that tight of business, it's really hard to do it. And if you raise your prices even a little bit, then somebody else will undercut you. So I have a lot of empathy for these small businesses. I really want to bring them with us. And I think, Eva, as you said, I think we need rebates. We need yeah. point of sale rebates. Absolutely. But it also is part of why I believe in the role of government. And I think that if we saw this in DC, when DC outlawed it, if, you, if the whole city outlaws it at once then I'm not at a disadvantage if I'm using battery because we're all using yeah. battery it levels the f- playing field for all of us and then if we have the right rebates and training we bring everybody along and that's what we can do and I, I really believe in the role of government and I'm old enough to remember how polluted lo- remember Los Angeles and you couldn't wow, even see in the smog Pittsburgh, and then way. there was the <laughs> we regulated tailpipes and now yeah. it's not a it's not amazing but it's a lot better sure. so regulation works, they, people still drive car, you know, so I, we can do this.
0: Yeah. Bonnie, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think people
2: are always resistant to change and that's mm-hmm. part of the problem. I think there also may be a macho factor to it. Yeah. I think the, the landscaping crews equate loud with power. And that's not necessarily true, but that's, the cultural bias, if it's loud, it's got to be powerful. It's got to be doing the job. So I, I think you need carrots and sticks. I think you need to help subsidize on um, the way Seth said. And many places are doing that. California has had tremendous rebates. Colorado was having rebates. I think we have to rethink the whole lawn culture. Some places are actually paying people to tear up their lawn. Utah just came out. They're going to be paying people, I think it's $1.50 a square foot. Other places are doing it. Water is a very precious resource. Out West, water is becoming a real problem. So you have a monoculture lawn that doesn't sustain pollinators, that uses a lot of resources, fertilizers, chemicals, water, which is becoming a very rare commodity out West. So I think we need to rethink the lawn how we take care of it? And is it really necessary to mow and blow it every single week? You know, we have to, as a culture, think of the aesthetic and we have to think about the worker and we have to think about the planet and what's going on. And is this really, really necessary. You know, they're trying to earn a living. I understand that. But I don't think anyone should earn a living off of something that's so toxic that hurts the communities, that hurts the worker and hurts the planet. Is it really necessary? So I think there's, there needs to be a cultural shift. And Seth has brought up some wonderful, wonderful points. There is a very organized landscaping industry that is every time a ban or a restriction comes into place, they fight it tooth and nail. They're not willing to change. And it comes down to what they think is their bottom line, that their bottom line is going to be affected. But, you know, we all have to kind of live together. We all have to work together. Yes, economics is important, but what's the real cost down the line when someone loses their hearing, when someone develops asthma, when children are exposed to this? Children with autism react terribly to the noise. People that have home-based businesses, they have to earn a living too. There's constant interruptions. You know, Eva, you said this morning, they were in your neighborhood all day, The noise penetrates windows and walls because it's low frequency. What gives this one industry the right to come into our neighborhoods and obliterate the right to the peaceful use and enjoyment of your home? You know, I hear people all the time. I like to garden. I can't go out. Every time you go outside, a leaf blower starts up. It impacts people's lives, their quality of life. So, you know, I think there's got to be compromise. And I think the compromise is you can have a landscaping business but you need to go battery. You need to protect your worker, you need to protect your customers, and you need to protect the planet. And I think that's a pretty decent compromise. I know it's not perfect, but it's, it's a path forward, I think, to a better way of taking care of properties.
0: Something you said about eyes, and I, I have to go back to that. And I remember before OSHA came out, and that was one of the things that happened in, in my dad's company where he worked, people would lose their eyes. Like, it was like, like nothing. They lost an eye. I know that the number one problem when you don't have eye protection is you lose your eyes, or you have a serious issue with your eye. And just by putting on the the, the protection on your eyes, is you have your eyes. (laughs) You know, it's that simple. And I like the fact that you talked about protective equipment. A lot of people resist wearing it because they just don't. They feel like, oh, you're not giving me my freedom. But you know, in the end, you're gonna suffer, especially with the your protection. It really makes a huge difference.
2: When you're asking someone to take care of your property and it could be a 90, 100 degree day, or in the fall here when they're cleaning up leaves, can go down. I've seen these guys blowing frozen leaves for hours and hours on end to where personal protective equipment can be uh, burdensome to them. You know, the glasses can fog up. Uh, you're going to wear a respirator or some type of a mask and it you know, gets wet. It gets foggy. It gets they're not, they're not going to do it, even though OSHA says they're supposed to have the proper PPE. So again, that's another reason to go to battery equipment.
1: The other side of that, I can't remember where I heard it. It was Eva might have been articulating it, just that the leaves laying on the turf or in the beds are housing microorganisms that are a positive contribution to the landscape along with insect eggs of the native insect population that we want to keep. So I don't remember the the cycle in terms of the entomology, but... The
0: instars, the instars. Yes, thank you.
1: Yeah, that they're attached to the leaves, and it's, uh, it's, it's unsettling. I, uh, uh, Seth characterized Mount Airy as, as the Berkeley neighborhood of Philly, and I actually have an association with Chicago's Berkeley, arguably, I guess, is Evanston, Illinois. I was there at the end of the summer and uh, felt like I was seeing quite a bit of the naturalized landscaping where the turf was gone. And the native perennials were looking fabulous. And clearly it was a conversion. You could clearly see the imprint of a smart horticulturist or a smart landscape gardener that had talked to someone that's sitting on a pretty big piece of property. It's an upper-middle-class community for the most part. And it's not going to take jobs away. You know, as these uh, conversions take place from turf to naturalize landscapes, if anything, I think it'll create more jobs, more jobs. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there was a rule of thumb that if you're not out in your lawn, you're not using your lawn every day, you shouldn't have a lawn. If you are going to be using your, you know, you have a family and you have children and you need a play area, make the play area, but don't take 10 acres and mow 10 acres every week. It just doesn't make any sense. And you see that still around here, but you see there's conversions happening. You see there's a lot of people here in this community that are specialists in making meadows. And the leaves will catch that when it gets mowed, it all gets pushed back down to the ground. And, you know, you have a a nice, healthy environment. And again, your microorganisms are kept in the soil in the area where they are supposed to be, we're not having a tornado every week with the blower that's two hundred miles an hour. Tornadoes are deadly, and and so is a so is a blower it, by moving habitat by throwing it up in the air. It's like, again, it's a tornado every week.
2: Yeah, they they aerosolize all sorts of fertilizers, pesticides that destroy pollinator habitat. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of good things. They blow away mulch, they kill good soil microbes. So then you end up using more fertilizers, more pesticides because you, your lawn becomes susceptible to blight and to other things and infestation of other insects. And then you put down more fertilizers and more pesticides. And it becomes kind of a vicious cycle. So, yeah, this is definitely a better way to do it. And I think what the landscapers are missing, instead of fighting this, because it's it's eventually coming, and, it, and there are so many yeah. bans and restrictions and groups like Quiet Philly, and we're starting a national group called Quiet Clean Alliance. We have about 50 similar organizations throughout the United States that want to accomplish the same thing. It's coming. So rather than fighting it, look at it as a good marketing opportunity. Be one of the first. If you capture your customer base by providing a better mousetrap, you're gonna be first to market. You're gonna, and if you explain to your customers also that, you know, if I don't use a leaf blower in your property every week, your kids aren't gonna be exposed and your pets to, to carcinogenic emissions and fumes. I think if the homeowner who probably is away comes home at the end of the day, they like to see everything look pristine and the landscaper was here. They have no concept of really what's going on. If you're home all day and you're exposed to the noise and the fumes, it's something different. So I think landscapers are missing a wonderful opportunity where they can jump on the the market instead of fighting it and offer a better better mousetrap.
0: You know, I have to say that you are right on target, Bonnie, because when I was at this meeting with these landscapers, the ones who have already transitioned into battery operated equipment are getting more business than they've Ever had they're getting phone calls because they said we didn't hear our neighbor's blower this week, but they have a new landscape company and we want to use them instead of the one that we use because they're using quiet equipment. So there's a case in point where you know, as you say, it's a it's a great selling and marketing tool for the companies.
2: Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that from you, and I I, I hope yes. more more landscapers recognize that. So, you know, there is, there is a a change coming. There's a shift coming. But we hope to accelerate that because it's been a long time of having to suffer of listening to these leaf blowers, being exposed to them and degrading the quality of life. And I think anyone that has a home-based business would be very thankful if the neighbors went, yes. (laughs) I also try to do paperwork and and Zoom calls and things and it's constantly, my gynecologist says she has to deliver babies in the middle of the night and she comes home and just as she's about to fall asleep, The neighbor's landscaper comes and she can't sleep. Well, that's not good. If she's going to deliver your kid, you want her to be alert and awake. So I have a friend that's an attorney. He goes, especially during COVID, he would have to go down into the basement, to a closet, to take calls because the landscapers would be out blowing. They've considered essential workers during the pandemic so they could work freely. So many of us are impacted in different ways. Um, retirees tell me all the time, I want to putts in my garden. You know, I work my whole life. I enjoy my garden, my free time. Um, i like to go to the local park, but you hear them there too. The noise travels so far, there doesn't seem to be any place that you can go without hearing a leaf blower. Um, I had a clinic yesterday, and after my clinic, I went over to Costco to pick up a few things guess who was at Costco in the parking lot? Yeah, the, the, the landscape was blowing and blowing and blowing. I said, I cannot get away from these things no matter where I go. I say home and I hear them. I go to Costco, I hear them. Even our local hospital, which I've tried to speak to the medical director there. Why are you allowing this when you have sick people, you have employees, you have visitors coming to your, your hospital? They should not be exposed to this. But yeah. It's Again, we need that We need that cultural shift. We need that mind change.
3: And I think a lot of people hate these things. I, whenever we send an article in, invariably some editor gets back to us and says, I hate these leaf blowers. You know, people hate them. <laughs> um, and as well as elected officials who supported us and organizations, et cetera. And people feel like it's inevitable and I just have to live with it. But it, it's not sort of the way of the world. Uh, leaf blowers have not even been around gas leaf blowers less than 50 years. Years. So this is—we haven't been doing this forever. This idea of having this pristine lawn—it hasn't been around forever. It, you know, um, uh, 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 Thomas Jefferson and George Washington—they liked what they saw in England and France uh, at Versailles. They called it the Tapis Vert, the Green carpet. So this idea that it'll be like inside, outside. And so Jefferson modeled Monticello on it. Uh, George Washington brought gardeners from England to to install his green lawns. And then we created this aesthetic that this is what it means to be successful. This is what good looks like. And I just think we have to unlearn it.
0: Well, I think if we really want to do it right, we need to bring the sheep in so that we don't have to use the mower at all. <laughs> they do in England.
1: There's a business. Yeah,
0: There's a business. Well, there's actually people who do that with goats. They they rent their goats out, and yeah, and it's it's really fabulous. They get their the mowing done with the goats, and yeah. So there there's just so much that we really need to think about.
1: Yeah, I just finished Ken Burns with the American Buffalo, and Buffalo would do well on grass too. Um, Oh yeah. I have to have uh, a confessional moment because I guess I'm a lifer in the in the business started out in the early 70s. So my grandparents' company, I hate to... Well, I know some of the things that they were spraying, and I was the teenager, you know, with a spray nozzle in the backyard with absolutely no personal protective equipment. So you'd shoot the gun up in the air, and you'd get that drift right back in the face. So we'll see what my remaining time on Earth, uh, how that plays out. (laughs) But even in the last... (laughs) 15, 20 years, (laughs) the things I don't do anymore because the client made it clear you know, no, you're not going to use glyphosate. No, you're not going to spray this miticide. And it did, you know, challenge me to go back and and work with the organizations like NOFA, Northeastern Organic Farmers Association, that embrace the landscape industry and just learn about the alternatives. And I was 15 years with a big corporate tree care company, and I watched their transition as well. And the scientists that that worked in the lab there, they weren't resisting it. you You know, it's the right thing. If you love trees, if you love the planet, you go, yeah, I'm ready to put this down. You know, we don't need to be spraying these things. We don't need to be doing these practices.
0: And I'm going to add to that, you know, being in horticulture in the industry as a professor, as a, I. Have not sprayed. The only thing safe was soap. That was it. And I lived through that DDT period too. And I refused to pick up a sprayer. I refused. And you know, I don't care if I could walk away from a job. I'll walk away from a job. I'm not going to spray. Yeah, that's it's more important for me for my health.
1: Well, we did save a lot of ash trees, but those were not sprays. Those were injections. Injections. So, again, I think even as we gear up so to speak, for a beech leaf disease, the consensus is that you're going to be able to inject beech trees to to save from beech leaf disease. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I'm a little skeptical.
3: The way I'm thinking about this shift from gas leaf blowers is, you know, not just about the gas leaf blower, which is a horrible thing. But, you know, I live in a city, a very large city. There's density here. And there's obviously been a lot of polarization in our society and violence and conflict. And I see this as an opportunity for us to learn to live close to each other in consideration of all living beings whether they be humans or not and you know i i love philadelphia and i love that we're close together and it's almost like you know when you walk down the street with uh, across the street with a with a kid in tow and somebody stops their car so you can get across and we we really we see each other and we care for each other and i feel that this is an expression of becoming the kind of city, the kind of neighborhood, the kind of society that I think many of us really want to live in. That's really well
1: articulated. Thank you for that. How about you, Bonnie?
2: Well, in medicine, what we do is we always look at risk versus the benefit. If we apply this to landscaping, we've discussed all the different health risks, the ecological risks, the quality of life risks, and when you boil it down to what are the benefits, the benefits are we don't see some grass clippings on our driveways or our walkways, and we don't have a leaf on our lawn once they've fallen off the tree. We love them when they're on the trees when people go leaf peeping, but as soon as they hit the ground, they become an anathema and they must be destroyed and, and gotten rid of at all costs. So again, I think we need a shift in, in culture. We need to realize leaves leaves are not the enemy. Leaves aren't going to hurt you. Leaves are there for a reason. Mother Nature usually knows better than we do. And she's been producing leaves for years. They produce nutrients. They produce all sorts of good things. You can use them as mulch. So I think Seth really put something quite beautiful out there about we all need to live together. And I think we need to be more considerate. Some people do work from home. Some people have small children. Some people have asthma. Some people have COPD or, or, or getting cancer treatments. And to have this invasive, noise and these toxins in our neighborhoods day after day after day. Again, what's the risk versus the benefit? The benefit is you don't see a grass clipping or a leaf.
0: You know, that's that's a really good point. And when you talk about leaves, I, I get people say, don't plant that dirty tree. And I said, I would say, this is what I say, who are the dirtiest things or living organisms on earth? Humans. We create the biggest amount of dirt and filth that there's, there is on the earth. And don't blame a tree for its leaves because everything that it drops disappears in, within a year. So how could they be that dirty? <laughs> and they look at me like, what, are you crazy? No, I'm not crazy. We, we just have to look and see what is really creating the mess and what is acceptable and what's not. It's not acceptable to have so much trash. We we're talking about sifters how to get the trash out of leaves so that they could reuse the leaves on an urban campus. That's what we were talking about yesterday, to get a sifter that cost a ton of money. But if you go for a grant, get the grant, so you can sift out the trash so you can use your leaves again because they're that valuable. And so those are the kind of things I think about all the time. And I'm glad that we had you on the podcast today. It's really very exciting to have a A freshness that we haven't had in a while.
1: (laughs) I did want to ask if you had any final comments, Seth, it does look like you.
3: Well, Eva just talked about freshness and I wanted to talk about my inspiration and also about how we think about being patient with individuals coming around or companies coming around. And my inspiration is my daughter, who is 18 years old and an environmental activist. And she says to me, and she says this with a good deal of passion, you can imagine. And she says, the earth is burning. What is your generation going to do to address this? So you're not just throwing the problem in my lap and how fast are you going to do it? I love that. And all of the hours that Bonnie and I and all of our volunteers spend, it's all to me. It's just about meeting meeting her challenge. Yep. Thank you for that.
1: How about you, Bonnie? Any closing comments or observations?
3: Uh,
2: I think things happen slowly and then they happen fast. That's what Jim Fallow says. And I think we're getting to that critical that critical mass where yeah. things are beginning to happen fast. Every day I see more and more articles about not using gas leaf blowers. I see more articles on leaving the leaves about groups that are trying to organize and do things and op-eds. So I'm hoping that the the process gets accelerated and we can save the planet and we can get rid of some of the emissions and reliance on gas in the in the landscaping industry. So yeah, the next generation can have a, a cleaner, healthier, quieter planet.
0: I have to ask this is our typical question at the end. Do you have a favorite tree?
2: My favorite tree.
0: I like a Japanese maple. Any reason? Any particular reason? It's rather delicate.
2: Um the leaves are pretty. When they fall off, that has that little that little red,
3: delicate leaf. That's great.
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That's a good call there, Bonnie. Thank you. Seth, how about you?
3: At our house, we have three gigantic mature oaks that twist and tower over our house. They drop a lot of leaves. They keep the house cool in the summer. I just love them. That's great. Well, you didn't
1: ask me today, Eva, but I know we do that yeah, once okay, in a while. okay, I'll ask you I'm getting,
0: Okay, wait.
1: Well, I have a relevant tip. I've been researching how to make your own ginkgo tincture. Oh, And if I'm reading it right, you're supposed to be using the leaves that are on the ground, the leaves that the tree has already shed. I would have thought, use them while they're still green. But it is on my to-do list sometime in the next week is to get over to the local cemetery and get my first stash of yellow uh, ginkgo leaves that are already on the ground and make ginkgo tincture and maybe raise my IQ by 0.5%. (laughs) By
0: <laughs> I, I will say yesterday we were talking about looking at these ginkgos in the city, and they there were some that already had dropped, and then there was this whole grouping that hadn't yeah. dropped. So they typically drop all at once or like within a couple hours of each other. And I was really excited. I said, oh, look at that. There's going to be a whole other layer of leaves falling in a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, thank you both, guys. Oh, thank you. I knew it would be great. I'm glad it came together. We wish you success, uh, both in your own neighborhoods. I hope Huntington comes around, Bonnie. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time.
0: Take care of yourselves.
1: You too, thank you. you.
0: Take a deep breath when there's no blowers. When around. there's no <laughs>
1: blowers. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye.
0: Thanks
1: again. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast. When you have a moment, check out our sponsors page on our website. There's a lot of wonderful places to visit. The Planet Trillion Trees podcast is edited by Andromeda Recordings in Hollywood, California.